What is up, you guys, and welcome back to episode 44 of the Lombard Trucking Show, where at time of recording, I'm coming at you live off Interstate 81 in the Shenandoah Valley at the base of the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains. I'm in transit at the moment, taking a tractor that came out of Donaldsonville, Georgia, and I'll be delivering it to a very kind gentleman's farm in Hagerstown, Maryland. From there, I'll go link up with Mr. Sabaka down at the Port of Baltimore and hopefully take something back out to the Midwest. But enough about me. If you're viewing, you can tell I have a guest with me. And for you listeners out there, I have a very special guest who decided to come to the show today. And now, if you know me personally, you know that I'm actually not the biggest fan of lawyers. And uh, hear me out. Um, you know, I just, uh, you know, there's kind of, there's a lot of them and a lot of them are writing our laws. But uh, the guest I have on the show today is is a lawyer, but um, there's something in them that I saw because they're doing exactly what I'm trying to do. They 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 got themselves involved in an industry and became very passionate about it. Saw the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, saw what was going on on multiple sides of the issues and knows for a fact that it can work and work for everybody and work better, which is similar to what I'm trying to do in the trucking industry. And she took it upon themselves to get involved and make things better because in the industry she works in, which is the oil and gas industry, you have the media, which lies about it constantly. And then the people who work in the oil and gas industry at leadership, uh, at leadership uh, positions aren't doing themselves any favors when it comes to this. So we're in this vicious cycle. So without any further delay, I want to welcome to the show, the former candidate for Texas Railroad Commissioner, Miss Sarah Stogner. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here. Yes, we're, we're glad to have you. So uh, what's your story? Tell, tell, us, tell us your life story. Where are you from? What'd you do? Sports, everything. Walk us up to today. Yeah, okay. Well, I was born in Huntsville, Alabama, um, June 22nd, 1984. Uh, my, my dad's an aerospace engineer. My mom is a neonatal intensive care unit nurse. Grew up actually in Southern Florida and Southern California. Kind of a civilian army brat. Parents got divorced. Mom moved me back to Huntsville, Alabama, where both of my parents are originally from. They were high school sweethearts. Uh, went to middle school and high school in Huntsville, Alabama. Thought I wanted to be an engineer. Come from a family of mathematicians, engineers, science types. And took calculus my senior year and realized I did not need to be an engineer. Also took economics my senior year and really enjoyed it. So uh, the colleges that I had applied to for engineering I uh, didn't think I should waste the money going to Tulane or Washington University, really not knowing what I wanted to do with my life. So LSU, I had applied to Tulane, been accepted to Tulane. LSU sent me a spring testing offer and said, hey, we've got a little bit of money. We'll give you a scholarship. Come test out of classes. So uh, I got my out-of-state tuition waived and a little bit of help from LSU. Ended up graduating in three years with my AP credits. Uh, stayed at LSU law, for law school and then ended up um, in New Orleans for the first 10 years of my career or so and then moved to the Permian Basin in 2017. So I moved to the Permian Basin in 2017. I have always been an oil and gas lawyer. So I started out at, at big firms representing um, big petrochemical companies along the Gulf Coast in air releases and, and big massive toxic tort kind of stuff. And then later, a few years later in my career, started representing mostly oil and gas operators in insurance coverage for well control incidents. So it's just a highly technical 
part of insurance coverage. And so basically when you're drilling a well and something bad happens and it blows up, you have insurance for that. And insurance companies, if lots of money is at stake, we all know this, doesn't matter if you're in trucking or oil and gas, right? A lot of money is at stake and it's cheaper to pay lawyers to fight about it than it is to just do what's right and pay the claim that you're owed or that's owed to you regardless, right? So um, I spent mostly the next few years representing operators, negotiating contracts, risk management issues, insurance coverage, all of that. In the summer of 2017, I moved out onto a friend's ranch. I was going through a divorce. She was like, hey, come live in my pool house for the summer. You can write nasty gram letters to the oil companies that, you know, her dad had been a really prominent oil and gas lawyer and both of her parents are deceased now. She's younger than me. She's only 36. But um, she's like, yeah, come live in the pool house and write nasty grams. So I did. I moved out into her pool house the, the actually the Friday before Memorial Day 2021. And then about 10 days later, a plugged well, an old Chevron well that had been plugged in the 90s started flowing brine at surface it's really heavy brine and so i had known during my years of well control insurance coverage that you know i think the the weight of fresh pound water like if you take a gallon of fresh water and you weigh it it's something like six and a half or seven pounds they add calcium chloride or sodium chloride or some other th things right into the water and it weighs it so that when you're trying to control um, subsurface flow or flow below that it creates a hydrostatic head and it's physics and it's beyond my pay grade but i know the basics of what was flowing at the surface was essentially kill weight fluid it was fluid that was not naturally occurring anywhere and so it was either coming from oil and gas operations or something was happening subsurface because of oil and gas operations to create this really salty water and now almost two years later <laughs> uh, i ran for office we've just now sued chevron i was really hoping that we wouldn't have to instigate litigation but this is where we are. Um, so I'm representing one of my best friends in, in really big litigation. And we're at the same time trying to figure out how to fix this industry because we all know that we need the oil and gas industry, but we have to do it the right way. And the more I dig in, the more I realize that we have regulations on the books in Texas that are not actually enforced or applied. They're definitely not evenly and fairly applied, depending on who you are and who you're donating to and all of that kind of stuff. It's the epitome of crony capitalism. So I joke that I thought Louisiana politics were corrupt until I moved to Texas. No, that's, that's pretty <laughs> wild. So actually to ask, you, you said you're representing your best friend. You work for yourself. Uh, I do. Yes, I have my own firm. Okay, so this is your yourself. So yeah, you're not representing another big firm. That's actually really awesome uh, that you're able to do that. It's uh, it's pretty admirable. And now, what's that process looking like? What? Uh, how how long could this go on for? So that process is looking like me acting as general counsel now and hiring lots of other law firms to help. I think Chevron last count had seven different law firms that have talked to us or, or represented Chevron in the process over the past almost two years now. And so it's pretty unbelievable 
um, just the kind of money and power, right? They're a Fortune 500 company. I'm, it's it's Fortune 100 company. I don't write like they're these are professionals that they've got all of the money and resources to hire the biggest, baddest law firms um, and make things go away. And they can't buy their way out of this one. And what's now what's crazy is that they'll dump all this money into making it go away. But how come? And I know this seems like a really easy or obvious question, but why, why don't they just do clean it up? Oh, because that's that's going to cost hundreds of millions of dollars. So, you know, what's really infuriating is I saw a newspaper article, I don't know, a month or two ago where Chevron had donated $10,000 to the local food bank and Meals on Wheels. That's great. Um, they donated $5,000 to the Crane Livestock Show. Great. We did, too. Right. Because we do it every year kind of thing. But um, you can't buy pardon my French, shit in the oil field for five or $10,000, right? You can't get a truck to come on site for less than $5,000 probably. And the cement that you have to pump, right? I mean, things are very expensive. And unfortunately, what has happened is instead of cleaning things up, they buy the land and then continue to pollute. So what they want to do is they just want to buy this rancher out. And you can get land out here, you know, for $1,500, 2,000 acre. It's relatively cheap in the grand scheme of things. So if an operator can come in and buy a, a rancher out at two, three, four, five times the fair market value, heck, even 10 times the fair market value here would be, let's say, $20,000 an acre. That's a lot less expensive than it is to actually remediate soil and aquifers over an acre. And so you're talking about three different freshwater aquifers. Um, you're talking about millions of dollars to pump and treat. And you have to replug. We've got about 250 wells on the property where I live. And to back up, if people are on social media, they can follow zombie wells, zombie and then W-E-L-L-Z on TikTok Facebook, not Facebook, I don't do Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, and that'll kind of help bring them up to speed. They can go and watch videos and see me and kind of see what's happening. But essentially, we have these old oil and gas wells that were supposed to be plugged that were never properly drilled, completed, or plugged. And on top of that, we're taking all of this produced water because when you produce oil and gas, you also produce water that comes up with it. But it's not pretty clean water. It's got things like radium and benzene and toluene. It's really gross. So that water comes up and you'll get, you know, six or seven barrels of water up to 100 barrels of water for every barrel of oil that you produce. And so I think something in the Midland and Delaware basins, you're looking like an average of five barrels of water to every barrel of oil. So when we say that we're producing five million barrels of oil a day we're also producing about 30 million barrels of produced water and, and that water has to go somewhere i was gonna say where it where does it go it just well we inject it if we inject it deep it causes earthquakes and when we inject it shallower it pops these old well bores and so you can recycle it. They do do some recycling, but most of that recycling is to reuse it in oil and gas operations. You can also recycle it. You could make distilled water, right? You can take produced water, treat it through thermal processes, 
you'd have to, you know, it would consume a lot of power, um, but you could basically use steam and then generate steam, and then you'd have to do something with all these salt solids that would fall out of it. And so think of, um, you know, if you've got a swimming pool of water, you'd probably have at least a hot tub full of just radioactive salt and metals and stuff at the end. Now, the good news is, is in some places there's lithium and other things that are beneficial that you can mine from it because we're going to need that for batteries and all this, right? But my whole, my long story long is there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? There's no such thing as green energy. Everything has its costs and benefits. And what I am tired of is I'm really tired of elected officials and um, people in the private sector who don't care about the societal costs of their operations and are pushing agendas that benefit them personally. And so, you know, we don't, we can't live off of windmills and solar panels alone. No one disagrees with that. But on a pretty day in Texas, when it, the sun's shining and the wind's blowing, which is a lot of the days, and we have mild weather, we can be almost completely on wind and solar, <coughs> right? So what I'm tired of is picking the, the like green energy, which isn't green, go and look at lithium and cobalt mining, right? Like these, everything has its cost. They're using child labor to put together solar panels. Try running an 18 wheeler and hauling your cheap Amazon goods with solar panels, right? Like people are delusional, let's get real. Um, but at the same time, we need to accurately price things. We need to price water. We've never paid the real true cost for clean water and we need to price energy. And if it costs $80 to responsibly produce a barrel of oil in Texas, then we need operators to step up and say, we're gonna have to responsibly produce it and pass along those costs to consumers. But I don't think anyone, except for those of us that are really in here and, and in it every day, understand that the dynamics have changed on a global level of the oil market. And so uh, this OPEC and the Saudis can't just go and turn on the tap either, right? Like they're drilling at full capacity. They've got integrity issues. They've got aging infrastructure. All of us are dealing with the past 50 years of consumption and supply and demand and trying to make sure that third world countries are still allowed to develop energy and they are not cooking with dung because that's still happening. But at the same time, you know, um, maybe our, our, our desire and our willingness for, I want it now, I want it tomorrow, I want whatever it is, cheap, easy, at my doorstep in two days, which is what we've been trained with modern day amenities, like those things have costs. And so we need to come together, have an honest conversation, because what's happening is we've got groundwater that's being polluted, air that's being polluted. And quite frankly, I want my daughter, my grandbabies to be able to go fishing with me and us catch fish and be able to eat it, you know? and and. I want the government out of my life, but we need to have regulations that are actually enforced because if we don't, you get a few bad guys that take advantage and screw it up for the rest of us. No, that's that's really good and really well said. You and I share a lot of this that same sentiment. I've heard about the dung over there in um, the parts of the Far East where these uh, tribes of people are still cooking with it. And 
you know, it's like, how are they supposed to have green energy? I've, I've, I've gone down those threads. I get my question is about all of this is where where is the where is the media on this? Because they seem just as out of touch with the trucking industry. Every every time every media personality I talk to about truck parking and all this, it's always there's this big disconnect. Why isn't the media so laser focused on something like this if they always claim to care about the environment? No, it's money. No one cares. No one cares about actually cares. Like you need big picture, long-term planning because, um, things, everything has a cost and, 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 and things that are beneficial, right? Medicines and, um, there's, we have our entire life is based on a hydrocarbon uh, on a hydrocarbon based economy. And wars have been fought over oil, right? I mean, this is, at the end of the day, energy is prosperity and opportunity. And we have energy-rich places like the Permian Basin of Texas. I mean, we have enough oil and gas in the Permian Basin to power the United States for like 100 years. We don't have energy scarcity problems like we, we used to. Now... We, what we do have is a freshwater scarcity, right? And we've got aging, I think something, it's either 27th or 37th, I can't remember which one, in the world. The United States is not top five on access to clean water. Like, that's mind-boggling. Flint, Michigan, right? Like, these are, these are things that aren't anomalies. They're insidious in small towns. And you've got water that's been going through lead pipes, uh, through steel pipes that causes corrosion, right? I mean, there are, um, just like a house, you don't build a house and then not have to do anything with it for 50 years. It's a, it's maintenance. You've, you've got to paint, you've got to replace rotting fascia, right? Like, oh shoot when we designed it we didn't realize that this was never going to get sun now it's constantly moldy and now it's it's rotten and we have to replace it and you know like, oh, now we'll know next time we design a house like this to not do it the same way but um no one's doing that in the oil and gas context we've got all this great technology and it's not being used because it's more expensive to use it and no one's forcing them to use it and and also what you're saying is that there are the way the regulations are written out, um, the, the, so you're saying the way the regulations are written out, actually, if they were just followed to code, things would probably be working better, and they would be using the tech. But they're, but they're, but these regulations aren't being, you know, people aren't following them to code, and that's where the so it, there's a leadership thing that comes into play, and you got yourself involved in that. There's a leadership position. There's a position in Texas that's that's dedicated to everything you that you've been talking about, and you went after this. You ran, right. ran for this position. I did. So um, I got so frustrated. I was convinced that when that well, that that leaky well, showed up, I was like, oh, good, it's Chevron. It's a reputable big oil and gas company. I haven't represented Chevron before, but I've represented lots of oil and gas companies, and I've seen how a responsible operate responds to a subsurface blowout, which is what was happening, and we've subsequently determined that we at least know enough to know that we've got some serious subsurface crossflow, which just means you've got two different zones that shouldn't be communicating 
or, or having flow or pressure exchanged between them are now acting as one reservoir, right? And you've got flow that's commingling where it shouldn't be subsurface, but you can't see it above ground. And unless you're trained, you can't even necessarily tell what's happening from gauges and things like this. So yes, the Railroad Commission. And everyone's like, oh, well, what is, what is, what is the Railroad Commission? This has nothing to do with railroads. You're right. But since uh, 2005, the Railroad Commission hasn't had any jurisdiction against over railroads. That's been with the TxDOT, the Department of Transportation. But they've intentionally not changed their names. And if you ask them why haven't they changed their names, they'll tell you it's because it's too expensive. It's going to cost like a million dollars to rebrand it and change the logos. And I actually, the first time I heard that, I was like, you know, I get it. It's kind of silly. That's a waste of money. We don't need to waste taxpayer dollars. But then once I realized that no one except for those of us in the oil and gas industry actually know that the Railroad Commission has to do with oil and gas, and that's by design because they are elected. There's three elected commissioners. They serve six-year terms. So there's one up for election every two years. They, they rotate when they go in and out. And they are more powerful than the governor, right? A third of the Texas economy is the oil and gas industry. So you have, and they have um, administrative law judges. So if you file a complaint or, or something happens in the oil and gas context, and it has to do with oil and gas wells, intrastate pipelines, or surface mining for things like coal and lignite, then they have exclusive jurisdiction over it. And... Um, that's billions, it's probably trillions of dollars worth of economic, you know, money exchanged every year, but something like 15 or 20 billion in taxes paid every year, right? And so this agency is incredibly powerful and yet it is cloaked under the guise of democracy where you have elected commissioners, but again, most people don't know what they do, don't know what they're run, what, what they're what they're voting for. And so I've always been a Republican. I fundamentally, I lean more libertarian. I believe that the government is limit, should be limited, stay out of my personal life um, and protect, help me protect myself. That's basically what I want the government to do. And instead I've seen our government be a shield for fraud, corruption, greed, and people are dying. I mean, cancer rates are up. People are drinking contaminated water. This is a very real problem. And I'm not anti-oil and gas industry. I'm anti-bad oil and gas industry. And the super majors are now, under the guise of going greener, right, dumping all of these old asset retirement obligations. When you're done with a, with a well, you're supposed to plug and abandon it properly. Um, but we've gotten to the point where it's impossible to properly plug and abandon these wells because of how much water we're injecting below ground now. And on top of that, they haven't really applied the rules for the past 50 years because they're all picked by the industry. It's, it would be like Wall Street electing the Security and Exchange Commission and it being called the Banana Commission. Yeah, ex I know exactly like, what you're saying. Okay, like what good would that do? Nothing. And, and just on the trucking front, right? Same kind of thing. You guys, there are there are good rules in place to protect everyone involved, right? Everyone knows like, oh, which logbook did you bring today, right? Like which one, uh, oops, don't, you know, haha. -ha. 
Um, you know, there's, and look, does, is, are those our requirements, uh, if properly applied, helpful? Maybe, but maybe not, right? Like, maybe I'm not good at taking naps and I just want to go 12 hours. I don't know. I'm sure that the data is out there, right? And so what's infuriating to me is you've got bureaucrats passing laws under the guise of protection when they're not fairly or evenly enforced or protecting our roads, right? Like weight limits. We want to make sure our bridges last. Let's not be taking overly heavy loads. And when you do, then you pay for it because you're going to be responsible for when the bridge collapses, right? Like, I don't know. There's got to be reasonable regulations. But at the same time, you got to pay the cost for that. And don't complain to me when you can't have X, right? Because um, you've essentially shut something down. And that's what's happening with the oil and gas industry. We've got this side, the right is talking about alternative sucks and it's only oil, okay? And then you've got the left saying that we don't need oil at all. And they're both wrong. Absolutely. It's it's wild to think that you could just jump from one to the other. There's another gentleman I've had on this show. His name's Gord. He's talked to the this guy from uh, Edison Motors who developed this a diesel generator that's actually a, a, a caterpillar engine, but it's it's the immediate it's the steps you need to take to transition yourself off of oil and natural gas. But what's crazy is is that the, the similarities between you, the oil and gas industry travels and the trucking industry. The head of the FMCSA is uh, has never the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Association has never worked for a motor carrier. You know the 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 Secretary of Tran Transportation. You know the current secretary of transportation an appointed position but uh, but you know by an elected president nonetheless an appointed position that person pete Buttigieg, has never worked in transportation and you know the person who's the head of the texas railroad commission has never as far from what i know is a gospel singer yeah so the guy right wayne christian that i ran against let me give you their credentials wayne christian is a um a personal financial planner and a Grammy nominated gospel singer. Um, and he was a state representative out of Nacogdoches who um, was redistricted. And as part of the political process, the Republican Party of Texas blessed him with, well, you're going to give up your seat because we're going to redistrict you. But don't worry, Wayne, we'll get you on to the Railroad Commission and all of the side gigs, the salary is pretty decent for a state official. It's like $150,000, right? Whereas our state reps make like 6,500 or something. So it's expected to be a full-time position. Okay, great, fine. Um, then the next one, her name's Christy Craddock. Her daddy is Tom Craddock. They're from the Permian Basin here. He has been a state rep for 50 something years. He's also a drilling mud salesman. So the, the, what I've heard is that if you're not getting your drilling permits in time, it's because you're not buying your drilling mud from Tom Craddock's, the, you know, from the right mud company. So like a TV show. It's, 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 it's like Russia, but at least Vladimir Putin admits that he's a dictator and it takes bribes. It's like pretending to be a democratic process. Um, so she went to law school. She graduated. Then her daddy gave her $500,000 out of his political coffers because you can switch, you can take political contributions that people give you from your political contribution campaign and give it to any other candidate that nobody like there's no rules against that. So he gives her five hundred thousand dollars. 
she gets the blessing of the establishment. She runs 10 years ago and then gets reelected, and now she's up again in 2024. And the rumor is, is that she's got higher hopes of governor or lieutenant governor or attorney general or something like that. So what I suspect is going to happen is that she's going to run in 2024 and then within the next two years announce that she's going to take over for you know somebody and run for some other position. And then the governor will have an empty seat and he'll be able to appoint whoever he wants. The third guy is a guy named Jim Wright. He's from uh, South Texas. During his campaign, he like went completely schmear campaign against Ryan Sitton, who was the former sitting commissioner, uh, and, and made up allegations that the guy was into like slave BDSM reenactment and found a porn star who happened to kind of look like the guy who does slave BDSM porn with his black wife in California and posted pictures saying that it was Ryan and his mistress. And this came out a couple weeks before the campaign. Like, you know, good. So I came out, got half naked and was just like, look, this is the naked truth. You guys want dirt? Let's talk about it. I've been married twice. I'm not real good at marriage. You know what I mean? Like, let's and go. I, <laughs> and, I, and I was getting there. What's crazy is for the listeners out there, she's talking about people who have ran for this position of Texas Railroad Commissioner. And what's crazy is the reason why her and I are even having this conversation and the reason why more people are learning about this is because, look, I'm no stranger to a little bit of naturalism. I've been to Hippie Hollow Park myself. Always enjoyed the great outdoors. Uh, as she did. But the only way to get this conversation was to go viral online for what you did for your campaign. It's the only way to get people talking about it. So yeah, talk, talk about what you, you had to do. <laughs> so we, we were actually in the process of filming a documentary and we had a documentary crew out and none of them are from Texas. And one of the guys said, you know, I've always wanted to photograph a cowboy up on top of a pump jack, a pumping unit. And, you know, like the iconic Texas scenery of a sunset. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I was like, well, being a good New Orleanian that I was before moving to Texas in 2017, I have a closet full of Mardi Gras costumes and pasties and fake eyelashes and all of the things. Let's put some pasties on and get on top of the pump jack and take some pictures. So we actually took the pictures months before this, before I decided to run anything. And then we joked when I announced my candidacy in December of 2021 that we should use what we called hump jack. We should use the hump jack photos for like my campaign announcement. And I'm like, ha ha ha, the Republican Party would love that. Um, you know, whatever, nothing happened. Well, then I'm sitting on the campaign trail in a hotel room in Waco, Texas on Super Bowl Sunday last year. And I had that footage and I thought, I need my own big game commercial right like the people spend millions of dollars for publicity and so i pieced together some of them and you can still find it it's if you google sarah stogner you know campaign video it's barstool sports has it because barstool sports adores me so um you know it's it's like okay I, I went and did it and I posted it and it goes viral and people were so, they still are. They're so angry. They're like, you can't be a serious political candidate. And I'm like, no, you're just angry that I'm a sexual being 
and you're not getting to objectify me in a sexual way that I took that power and shocker I actually have a brain and qualifications and credentials behind me right like I'm not just a stripper getting up on a pump jack running for a position that I have no authority or business doing like I'm I would I was definitely the most candidate quali qualified candidate running last time I probably will be again next time and you know it's like we've got to get really honest about our problems and and that was the way to do it no it and it got I, i'm not gonna lie it i remember actually scrolling on twitter seeing it go viral because i live in texas i'm not originally from here uh from texas myself uh and i had this is how i even learned what the railroad commission was because of you because of that ad because i saw it going viral because i saw somebody from kxan or who some one of the local news stations was talking about it. And I saw it in other threads from other like, you know, political pundits on Twitter who I follow. And I had was going down and I was like, oh, this is in Texas. I was like, what the fuck's a railroad commissioner? And then I go on and see it. And then and then all of a sudden, you're, you know, you end up on my friend's podcast on Hard Factor. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. I was like, yeah, finally, a political campaign I can get behind. This is, this is so sick. And then I and then. The more and more I followed along, I started to learn about the corruption going along with it. And here we are. But during the campaign, there was, I mean, you, you got to see the corruption. I mean, you saw the corruption in the oil and gas industry, and we've talked about it throughout the episode. But during the campaign, didn't somebody pass away? There was something crazy that happened. Some There's something a little... Uh, yeah. Know. In the primary, one of the candidates was killed by a water hauling truck. You know, and what happened was the truck was in the left hand lane and to make a really tight lease road had turned right from the left hand lane. And I don't know if he had autopilot on, was looking at his phone, but he ran into the back end of that water hauler and there was the top was gone from the Escalade. Right. Like it that you don't he was going 80 miles an hour. So. I don't, I've, I've seen a lot of movies and uh, may, maybe, you know, and I'm no stranger to topping off a, a tinfoil hat here and there. Um, but I mean, I've seen it where they, you know, they coordinate it like the Italian job or something. And they say, oh no, I tell everyone, I'm like, look, I love my life. I am not suicidal. No matter what note surfaces or what kind of weird, suspicious circumstances are surrounding it. And it's funny because Russell Gold is a reporter at the Texas Monthly that did an article about the ranch and, and our, our fight last summer. And, uh, I told Russell, I was like, look, if anything happens, he goes, don't worry, Sarah. If anything happens, I will do a deep dive investigation. <laughs> and so I, we have to joke about it because um, the alternative is a little uh, grim. But no, I mean, I have death threats. I've had, you know, there's a lot of very powerful people that do not like what I'm trying to do. Yeah, no, I believe it. And uh, I, I hope to get there myself. I've already I know that I've rustled some feathers, rattled some cages. There's other truckers that I've been working with about how we're trying to make those changes. And, you know, they're dangerous waters, but they're worth it when you when you give a shit about what you're trying to do. So you mentioned a you mentioned the next time. And like uh, we spoke b before we hopped on the recording, um, I recently saw you get into it in, in a thread with uh, another a Twitter user, and you were mentioning, uh, you know, the newly formed uh, Forward Party, which is something that I've really looked into, and I, I, I hate the I hate the gaslighting and the scrutiny. And I want you to talk about it a little bit because every time people mention third party on both sides, they gaslight you into thinking that it's a, it's a waste, and doing it is actually an endorsement of of the other side. And 
how the person I think in the thread said that you're basically endorsing fascism because you want to run for the or you you want to be a part of this third party. So you mentioned the future. There's a next time. What's you know what is the the future for Sarah Stagner looking like? Where are you headed next? You apparently, I guess you're running again, which is pretty dope for you to say it on the show. And is that the party you're rolling with? Or are you going to try to go go about again as a Republican? No, I'm I've given up on the Republican Party of Texas. They are not republicans anymore they don't believe in small government fiscal responsibility personal responsibility um no it's more big government wanting to you know no i'm, I'm done with the republican party of texas um but i'm also not interested in the democrats and i think that the forward party what i like about it is it was started by andrew yang who ran for president on the democratic ticket and they do have a little bit more socially liberal um policies and um, what their what their big priorities are is doing ranked choice voting and having open primaries. You know, in in for example, in Louisiana, you have to register as either a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent or whatever party affiliation you have to declare, and then you can only vote in that party's primaries. Texas has closed primaries, but you can declare whatever you want at the time that you show up. So you go to the primary, you go to the ballots on primary day, and in Texas, there's only two choices, Republican or Democrat, and that's you can vote for either one. And once you've committed in the primary process, you're committed to the runoffs, the primary runoffs. You can't vote in the you know March 1st as a Republican and then the May 24th runoff as a Democrat. You're stuck with your party for the the session or the the year, but then it's open season. But what that means is that most people don't participate in the primary process. And so you have both sides pandering to about 10% of people that identify as Democrats or Republicans. So we end up getting the most extreme candidates uh, that are picked through the primary process because of our closed primary system. And so what I really like about the forward party is fundamentally getting back to government that represents the majority of the people in a true democratic process and it being local and it being ground up, not leaders at the top telling their constituents what they should believe or vote in. Like, and, and they're, they're talking about some really cool things with the forward party of Texas of saying things like, you know, when, when it comes time to, we're trying to get a party and we need ballot access. So we're going to need 80,000 signatures, you know, to petition to have ballot access. And so um, what that means is, if, but if we can do that, and I run as a statewide candidate, and I get something like, I think it's even 2% of the vote or something pretty low, uh, we get statewide ballot access for the next 10 years. If I run for governor and get something, I think if, you, if I were to run for governor and get 20% of the vote, that we would then have primary ballot access for the next 10 years, which means that you could go during the primaries and say, I want to vote for the forward party of Texas. But where we really need people is on the local level, county commissioners, school board, right? People who are tired of seeing the, 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 the cronyism and the BS locally, a lot of those positions go unopposed. Some of them are still open, like there's positions where nobody runs sometimes. And if we can get common sense people who just want to get in there and believe it's an act of public service for a limited time, believe in term limits, like, let's get back to representing the people and what's best for the people, not making careers for politicians 
um, you know, to, to really line their own pockets. No, absolutely. You, you couldn't be any more correct. And that's and if it's one thing people need to, I think, start to learn about political parties is, like you said, you probably don't agree with everything Yang says. It's like and, and you know, and you and I might disagree on things like me. I, I really think we should focus on health care and do something. We need to do something because what we, oh, have, we have a cr- absolute crisis. I agree with you, but we got to yeah. rethink the whole system. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like that's the problem. You can't do these little like deep, 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 deep. Like you're adding on top of years of just bastardizing things through two thousand page bills. Are you kidding me? Like they don't have, they don't read the stuff. They don't know what they're passing, and then it's just little rabbit holes that people carve out for their buddies. Be like, here you go. Here's the way to this billion dollar government contract over here. Like, no, that's it's it's so infuriating. It's so I'm really excited about the potential. Yeah. Yeah. The potential is there. And I, the key thing that I think listeners need to realize is they that idea of ranked choice voting, what people don't get. And if you want to talk about how much of a patriot you are, if you want to talk about how much you love the Constitution in America, there's a reason why the founding fathers made the second place guy vice president. There was a logic to that, that George Washington and all those guys had in mind when the second place guy was vice president, because imagine if Donald Trump was vice president. Where can you where's the argument? There, you know, where is the, how can you polarize? What can you do? And there's a reason behind it. And I think the ranked choice voting structure is something great. Um, Look, so next time you run for railroad commissioner, you'll be a member of the forward party. That's, that's the plan. That's the, that we're going to try to get the forward party ballot access. And if we're successful, I will run as a forward party candidate. If we're not successful, I'll run as an independent, but I'm not even going to put that energy out there because I firmly believe that we can find 80,000 people in the, in the state of Texas who are sick and tired of the current way that government has worked. I mean, you talk about founding fathers, John Adams talked about one of his greatest fears was, was a, a we would become a bipartisan two party system that no longer served the people. Exactly. And, and look in such a short amount of time later. Well, I'm, I'm happy to announce that you only need to find 79,999 more <laughs> signatures because you've got one right here. But um, this is awesome, Sarah. I, I'm, I really appreciate you coming on. Where can the pe- if you don't have anything else, where can the people find you? Where can they follow along? Where can they contact you if they got any questions or if they need some good representation in oil and gas? <laughs> yeah, so uh, my website is stognerlegal.com. If you're on social media, I'm the unicorn lawyer on TikTok, Sarah Stogner on LinkedIn, Sarah for RRC on Twitter. And then my my alter ego zombie Wells account that I mentioned earlier, and that's Wells with a Z at the end. Now, can people still get the unicorn stickers? Because I, I I wish I didn't leave that out. Where where did the you you're, you can refer to yourself as a unicorn? Where is that? What yeah. Okay. So it actually started. Do you remember that YouTube? It came out like I don't know, ten or fifteen years ago, and the guy's talking about the hot crazy matrix, and he's like, okay, if if. If it's over here, it's a dude, or she's a unicorn, and capture her and bring her in, like if she's not crazy and uh, she's yeah. relatively good looking. Okay, so that's where it actually started. I looked at Jeremy, my husband at the time, I was like, what's it like to be married to a unicorn? And he said, I'll let you know with my third wife. And I was like, oh, <laughs> so I hope that's going well for him. But um, no, it started out as that. And then it really turned into, I'm tired of people telling me things are impossible. 
Nothing's impossible. I'm a unicorn. Like, let's, let's, we can be magical. We can figure this out, guys. Like, let's get to it. And so, you know, we've got data. We've got abilities with smart contracts and immutable ledgers. And what I see, honestly, is I see so many, specifically white-collar people, that are terrified of being irrelevant. Right? Like, we've got a bunch of accountants who don't want us to have a common sense tax code. We've got a bunch of lawyers who don't want us to have common sense contracts. Like, why is it such a pain in the butt to get divorced? Right? Like, why can't we, instead of trying to make it an adversarial process, like, try to get these people in counseling and therapy and do what's best interest of the children, right? Like there are so many areas of our life where people are personally benefiting off of others' misery and I'm tired of it. And so I've just said like, screw that, we're magical. And if you don't like it, we'll give you the horn. But you know, right along, there's, there's, plenty, of, there's plenty of room uh, in the unicorn tribe, and so I do have stickers. And so if people will message me, I am happy to mail them an oil and gas unicorn sticker where the horn is an oil derrick. No, that's awesome. Expect uh, expect a message from me soon because I'm I'm looking to be the the unicorn of this of the of the trucking industry. And you know, somewhere along the way, we're gonna we're gonna have to meet meet we're gonna meet in the middle on it because our industries are very parallel. Um, Sarah, that was really well said. Like I said, I want to thank you again. For coming on this was great um this is gonna open what you just said is gonna open up a lot of eyes out there so um i i do appreciate it and we'll we'll do this again soon come camping yeah. time we'll hey be- next time you're going coming through on i-20 i'll meet you at the pilot at i think it's like i don't know uh i can't remember the the stop number like 117 or something but oh, yeah. come uh oh, come so say hi off, i was gonna say you're off 20 well, how far past abilene Oh, way west. So I'm like, uh, I'm like a hundred miles east of the I-10-20 merge. Ah, okay. So you're not far from actually where that bad accident was during that ice storm. There was a really bad, right near the merge, just 40 miles east of Van Horn, there was a bad accident. So Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, thank you. Thank your elected officials for designing highways that are uh, not meant to have any weather, you know. Yeah. And that's that's what we're trying to fix. I, it, and that's another point you brought up. Well, is that the, there are there's some trickery to democracy, and there's things being done by design that we all need to change. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on. And it's why I'm you know making making the content I am. So thank you again. And uh, with that, yeah. Thanks so much. Peace out, everyone. Thanks for listening. <laughs>